Good to see all of you here this morning. Our crowd's down a little bit from what it normally is because we have a number that have already started their holiday travels. There are some who are out of town this week. They'll be out of town next week. Welcome to Thanksgiving. We're thrilled that you're here. Before I get into the sermon and some things I want to share with you this morning, I want to uh, lead us in a special prayer. Phones are great. Sometimes you get interrupted in the middle of uh, service, and I did just a moment ago. The Alceps have just left because they had to go to the hospital because Glenn's mother is being hospitalized even as we speak. And so I want to stop for just a moment and lift up the Alceps in our prayers that God may be with them and bless them at this time. So would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we come before you thanking you for the power of prayer, thanking you for being a father and a God who loves us enough to hear us when we come before you. And so this morning we come very especially to lift up the Alsop family and our beloved sister who's gone into the hospital this morning. Don't know all the details, God, but I know that you do. You know everything about what's going on. And I just pray your blessings upon this family. I pray your hand of guidance upon those who are caring for her even at this hour, that you would direct them and lead them and help them find exactly what the challenges are and give her a quick and speedy recovery and remedy to the illness and the sickness that's overtaken her this day. Father, you are truly the ultimate healer. And we ask you this morning in the name of Jesus to come into this hospital where she's at right now and to give her health so that she may return to be home with her family. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask this. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about being surprised. I've got a video I want to share with you here this morning that talks a little bit about surprise. And when you watch it all the way to the end, you'll understand what I'm referring to. But surprise comes in many different forms. It really does. We're entering into the holiday season. There are boxes here in the back for the children in Mexico that we'll take down in a couple of weeks. By the way, if you're interested in going with us, we'll be going down on Saturday morning, the 16th of December. We'll have a little Christmas party at the church that afternoon or early evening, and then Sunday we'll go to church in Vicente Guerrero with the brothers and sisters there. We'll come home Sunday afternoon. It's a quick 48 or 24, whatever, how many hours that is, trip. It's a one-night deal. Uh, we'll be staying in a nice hotel that's down there, so it's safe. If you want to go, talk to me after the services, and we'd love for you to be a part of that trip. You will need a passport to get back home. There are boxes that we're going to take to these kids. They're wrapped. When they open them, they don't, they don't know what's in them until they open it. And sometimes when they open the box, there's other things inside there that are wrapped, and they get a second surprise. I was talking with Lynn this morning. We were riding over here to the, to the building, and uh, she's preparing a little gift for my mother for Christmas. I'm going to see her this week for Thanksgiving because I'm not going to be there at Christmas. So I'm going to spend a little time in Alabama and Tennessee this week coming uh, to visit with my family. But she's preparing this box, and there's going to be uh, surprises in the box, other little things wrapped up. And it's kind of nice to get surprises, isn't it? It really is. And sometimes surprises come in other ways. They come in the ways of conversations with people. And you don't really know what you're getting until you have the conversation. Any of you remember the movie that came out a few years ago, Forrest Gump? Life is like a box of chocolates, yes? Sometimes you really don't know what you're getting until you open the box. And sometimes you don't know what you're getting in the chocolate until you take a bite out of that thing. Have you ever had that happen? Sometimes that can be a really positive thing. And sometimes the surprise isn't as pleasant as you thought it should be. And the wrapping was beautiful, but inside it wasn't so great. Things happen in life that give us a surprise. So I want you to watch this video with me. It's four or five minutes, and then I'll come back and share some things with you. Here's what you need to do. You've got to first shave your head. You dress all in black. You've got to wear a white robe. 
eat only kosher foods. You've got to become a vegetarian. You face Jerusalem. You've got to face India when you pray. You pray only in Hebrew, and you grow a nice big beard. And if you do all of those outward cultural things, you'll discover the God of the universe. And I'm thinking this is crazy that someone thinks that they can force their culture on God and that God's going to be impressed by what you wear, what direction you face when you pray, what you eat, and all these sorts of things. It seemed to me that if there was a God out there who could be known, he should be able to be recognized no matter where I face, no matter how I'm dressed, because he's God. Growing up, we always understood that we had our Bible and the Gentiles had their Bible, the New Testament, and that they were two completely separate books. Because the only people I knew who were believers in Jesus were all people in our public school who were Italian Catholic, I imagined that Jesus was Italian. And so the understanding that he's actually Jewish was, was a shock. And then to hear that the New Testament was written by Jews, I, I couldn't believe it. My expectation was that the New Testament was like my grandparents had told me. It was a, a book on how to persecute the Jews and something you should stay away from. Of course, when you're told you should stay away from something, <laughs> curiosity gets the best of you and you've got to see it. When I opened the New Testament, I was expecting to find a handbook on how to persecute the Jews. My grandparents had warned me that it was written by people who killed the Jews. That's what I was expecting to see, and yet when I'm opening it, I'm reading a story written by Jews about Jewish people. The New Testament was a fascinating book. And so as I opened this book in the library, I kind of looked around, made sure that none of my friends had seen me taking a Christian Bible off the shelf. And I open it, here's the first sentence. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So three people are mentioned and they're all Jewish. I was very shocked. And as I continue to read, I'm reading the story of a Jewish man who was born in a Jewish village, in a Jewish country, and one day walks into a synagogue and announces that he is the Messiah. The more I read the words of Jesus, the more I became attracted to him. It was as beautiful as anything I had ever read in any other part of the Bible. As I came to faith that Yeshua, that Jesus was the Messiah, it was clear that that was the most Jewish thing I could do. This is not a person who's a renegade to our people. This is the one who was promised in our Bible, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. It is astonishing. If you would just read that chapter, just without the Bible being around it, you would say, oh, this is some Christian Bible. This is Jesus. <laughs> when you realize, though, that it's in the middle of our Bible, our Jewish Bible, when I first came to faith, I dared not tell my father um, because this is a time period in the, the 1970s when there were lots of gurus and cults. And he was very concerned about me getting involved in some crazy sect and going off someplace. So I waited for months. And uh, when I finally told him, he was very skeptical. On his own then, he started to read about Jesus as well. About a year and a half later, 
I told him that the fellow who wrote one of the books that he had read, that this fellow was giving a lecture in the city in New York. And he agreed to come out to hear that person. And uh, one of the most amazing moments of my life was the speaker said, would everyone here who is a Jewish believer in Jesus, would you raise your hand? And I raised my hand. My father also raised his hand. And I said, I looked over, I said, Pop, he didn't say, would all the Jews raise their hand? He said, would all the Jewish believers in Jesus raise their hand? And my father looked over and he said, yes, I, I heard what he said. The decision to come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah was not something that was a momentary lark. It wasn't something that was a passing fad. And I could see changes in myself that I knew were not from within myself. I had kind of tapped in to a truth for our Jewish people that was very powerful. Maybe more strongly or maybe more fervently or maybe for the very first time they began to see and believe in this person that you and I refer to as Jesus and something began to happen in their life and they knew that it wasn't something that was within them it was something that was outside of them and that something that was outside of them is God's spirit tugging on their heart surprises they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes 1 Peter chapter 4, the author says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And so as disciples, you and I, who are believers in Christ, who have given ourselves to him, who are called his disciples and who seek to disciple others, you and I should live our lives in a way that we live the rest of our earthly lives for the will of God. The only problem with that is, what is the will of God? Because we very flippantly pass around that little expression, oh, it's the will of God. I remember years ago, I'm talking like when Lynn and I were in college, or maybe right after college, we were living in Montgomery, Alabama. And I don't even know if you remember this, Lynn, but there was a young lady, there was a couple in our church that we were worshiping with who had had a miscarriage. And I remember sitting by Lynn in that auditorium when she was writing out a card, as my wife does so many times, and I never know when she writes the cards, but she does and she mails them and she puts my name on them. God bless her. From Ed and Lynn. So Clint, if you got cars from us, I'm telling you, she did it. Okay? She did it. But she was writing out this card. And this, in, this couple had just miscarried. They don't have a baby coming anymore. She had miscarried. And she made this little statement on the card, the will of God. And I'm like, mm, you can't write that card. And I wouldn't let her send that card. Because there's no way, anything inside of me, there's not an ounce of belief in my heart that believes that it's the will of God that somebody had a miscarriage. Sorry, I can't go there. I just can't go there. So what is this thing called the will of God? Peter encourages us to live our lives in a way that we should live out the rest of our earthly lives for the will of God. Well, what is it? Well, let's take just a moment and examine at least one definition of, of what the will of God is. God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what Peter writes in the second 
book of Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish. It is God's will that none perish, right? But is it his absolute, absolute will? Because there are a couple of kinds of will of God. There is the absolute. When Jesus is in the garden and he says, thy will be done, guess what? That was God's absolute will. And there was nothing that Jesus could do this side of heaven to remove himself from the responsibility of going to the cross for us because there was no other plan that God had. That is the absolute will of God. And then there's this will of God called the desire of his heart. There's a story in the Old Testament where David is kind of running away from the one who's trying to kill him and he's hiding in a cave just outside of Jerusalem and he makes a statement to some of the men who are with him. He says, you know what? How I long for, how I have such a desire for some of the water from the well in the city. And some of his men snuck out. They went down, got water brought, and brought it back to him. That is the desire of God's heart. That is the desire of God's heart when he says, I am not willing that any should perish. God would give everything if he could get people to just come to him and accept his son. As a matter of fact, he did give everything. Uh, he gave his son. But he doesn't make any of us accept him. But the desire of his heart is that all of us would come to him. Huge difference in the will. So what is God calling us to do? God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is your desire? When it comes to this whole idea of, of discipleship, and it come, when it comes to this idea of living out our earthly lives in such a way that we long for and we desire the ultimate will of God, what is the desire of your hearts? Well, let's take a, a look at a couple of guys and let's get a sense of what desire really means. There were two very, very intelligent men who lived a long time ago. There's a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes a great illustration of what we're talking about. But there's a story that's told about one day, Plato came to Socrates. Socrates was the older fellow. He was the mentor. He was the one teaching Plato how to do all this wonderful thinking that he was doing. And, and Plato came to him one day. And he said, Master teacher, I want to know what you know. I want to think like you think. I want to know what you know. I want to be like you. And he says, do you now? Let's go for a walk. And so the two of them began to walk through the city. And they walked through the city, and as they were walking through the city, Socrates began to explain to Plato what he was going to have to do in order to have the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding and, 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 the, and the life that Socrates had. And they're walking along, and they go down to the water's edge. And as they're walking along, Plato is walking by Socrates, and Socrates kind of puts his arm on Plato's shoulders, and he says, come out into the water with me, and let me explain some more. And so they walk out into the water, and they're about knee-deep. And Plato's wondering, what in the world has walking in the water got to do with me learning what the Master knows? And they walk a little deeper in the water, and they get up to about chest-deep in the water. And as they're walking, and Socrates is explaining all this to Plato, all of a sudden, Socrates puts his arm around his head, and he holds him down in the water. And Plato's like, this is the weirdest way to learn anything. And he's holding him, and he's holding him, and finally he begins to lose his breath. 
And Plato, being the young man that he was and not really wanting to die, he starts struggling. And as he struggles, Socrates holds him a little harder and he holds him a little tighter. And he struggles some more and he holds him tighter. And the more he struggles, the stronger the hold gets on his neck. And all of a sudden, he's just about ready to pass out. And as he goes limp in the arms of Socrates, Socrates pulls him up out of the water and he lets him catch his breath. And then Socrates makes this statement to him. He says, when you want to know what I know, as bad as you just wanted air in your lungs then you'll know. When you and I have a desire in our hearts like the desire of God's heart, then discipleship gets really easy and the surprises start showing up. I could see changes in myself that I knew were not from myself. And as you and I begin to reach into the lives of other people and touch them, however casually or purposefully it may be, when we begin to do that, changes begin to happen and wonder begins to occur. And people are surprised that you don't do what they do 1 Peter 4, 4, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse upon you. We're about to enter into the holiday season. Do you know that there will be things going on at parties that you and I who are believers in Christ probably shouldn't engage in at these particular parties? You know that, yes? Especially New Year's Eve. Because it's kind of a rowdy, carousing evening for a lot of people in the world. And people won't understand. Hey, why don't you go to the party? Why didn't you go to the, to the, the work party? Why, didn't you, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? They don't understand necessarily the reason that we live the way that we do. And yet we're called to live in a way to anticipate the surprise. Because Peter writes, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where it seemed a little peculiar? Have you ever found yourself visiting with someone or talking with someone and the conversation goes in a way that you never expected it to go in all of your life, but you're right there in the middle of it? Sometimes that's a wonderfully powerful and positive conversation and sometimes it's not the easiest conversation and yet here we are in the middle of the conversation. Last Monday, I drove to Phoenix. Tuesday morning, I picked up a gal that works with me. We drove to Prescott. And as we're driving up, she's moving to Prescott at the end of this month. We're driving up there, and I, I ask her how she's feeling about the move. She's like, I'm really nervous. She said, I don't know if this is going to work out. I said, what's not going to work out? She's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have a place to work. I said, why do you think we're going to Prescott? She's like, well, I don't know. You, th you think we'll find something? I'm like, I have no doubt we'll find something today. She's like, how do you know that? I said, because last month, when Lynn flew to Arizona and we spent the weekend with my son, we drove up to, is it Sedona? Is that the city that's the beautiful little resort area? And then we drove to Prescott and we drove across that crazy mountain between the two of them. If you've never been there, go, because it's worth a drive. And we're driving through Prescott. I told Lynn, I said, I need to open Prescott as a market area for my company because I really like this city and I want to come visit more. And I'm driving with... Lindy, and I tell her that story, she's like, what's that got to do with this? I said, it has everything to do with this. She's like, what do you mean? I said, it's already in motion. It's already set. For whatever reason, the good Lord put it on my heart several weeks ago 
to be in this place at this time to open this market. And then all of a sudden, you call me out of the blue. Because I didn't know you were moving to Prescott when I was up here with my wife a month ago. I had no idea you were moving up here. And here we are. She's like, well, where are we going to go? I said, we got six locations. We walk in the first one. He's like, I'm not interested in talking to you. Already got my stuff. Don't need anybody. Thank you very much. We go to the second one. The guy's not home. He's not in the office. He sends me an email 45 minutes after I'm there because I send him an email on my phone. Phones are great. He's like, Ed, thanks for coming by, but I already have everything I need. Don't need you. We go to the third location. We walk in the door, talking with Butch, the owner. He's like, thrilled you came to see me. I don't have anybody doing this. I really need someone. So we have an hour and a half meeting. I take Lindy home. She's like, is this really going to happen? I'm like, Lindy, what did I tell you driving up here? Of course this is going to happen. She's like, you think you'll sign? I, I'm like, tomorrow, I'll sign. I go back the next, I take her back to Phoenix. I drive back up the next day. I go to Prescott. I sit down, I have a two and a half hour meeting with Butch. And he signs. And we're doing business in Prescott. Strange surprises happen when you honor God with your life. She's flipping out. She still can't believe she's got a job waiting on her in Prescott when she gets up there next week. But it's real. Surprises happen when we talk to people. Surprises happen when we work with God. Surprises happen when we work in the middle of God's world. When we're doing what He needs us to be doing, surprises happen. Now sometimes the surprises aren't the best of surprises. Because some people, they won't like your message. They just won't. They won't like your message. When they find out that you're a believer, the last thing they want to do is hang out with you. And they don't want anything to do with you. And they'll tell you where to put it and they'll tell you what dark places to put it and they'll tell you all kinds of horrible, no good, very bad things. But don't give up on them. Because you see, God doesn't give up on them. They're still there. And God is still working. And He hasn't finished with them yet. And there are times when you and I need to realize that there are things that we should say and there are things that we should do that can allow God to work in their heart. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes this, The end is near. Be alert and pray. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Use your gifts to serve others. You want to know how to find surprises in your life? Live like this every day. Realize that the end is near. Now you've got to understand something. Peter wrote this a couple of thousand years ago almost. And he missed the date a little bit. Because in his world, it's been a long time. The end is not near in Peter's world. Because it's now been a long, long time since he wrote that letter. But in God's world, it is very near. Because don't forget, a thousand years is as what in God's world? As a day, yes? And a day is as what? A thousand years. So it's only been two days. It's only been two days since Peter wrote this. The end is near. Now, I don't know if we have three or five more seven days to go, if that means we have another four or 5,000 years. I don't know. But I know this. The rest of that is absolutely true. Be alert and pray. Be very cognizant of those around you. Love each other deeply. Jesus says, the new command I give to you is to love one another. They will know you by your love. Even if they don't like your message, they know us by our love. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Serve other people. Use your gifts to serve other people. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but what? 
to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for others. You and I, in discipleship, in life, have the same opportunity to do the very same thing. So why are we surprised? If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Christ. To him, <coughs> excuse me, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see, you and I in our lives, we don't know all the stuff that's coming. We don't understand everything. It isn't our job to understand everything and to know all the things, though. It's okay for us to live in a state of surprise, in a state of expectation, in a state of wondering, what's God going to do today? And when we live in that sense of expectation, when we live in that sense of what is God going to do today, it opens the door for God to come in and do these amazing things that allow us to be His hands and His feet and his voice of those who speak words as if it is the very word of God, as those who serve using the strength that God has provided. That's the surprise. So when you and I really think about what God has done for us, I want you to realize that the Savior we have lives in us. He came here as God's surprise. In just a few weeks, it's going to be the week of Christmas. Christmas Eve is on Sunday morning. If you don't hear any other sermon this year, hear that sermon. Because we're going to talk about God's surprise. Do you think Mary was anticipating being a child, an unwed mother? Do you think the wife of, or the mother of John the Baptist was expecting to have a child who would be the prophet Elijah who is leading the way for others to come? Do you think they expected that? Do you think that those shepherds who were on the hillside were expecting this host of angels to show up in the middle of the night and say, Hark! It's all a surprise. The whole world was surprised by the birth of Jesus. The world was surprised with his life. They were surprised with his miracles. They were surprised with his heart of service. They were surprised with the thousands of people that got fed. They were surprised. Everything that he did was a surprise. Join in the wonder. Let your life be filled with joy and the surprise. Because God has called us to be his hands and feet to be his very voice, to be his word, to be his disciples in a world that desperately, desperately needs a Savior. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul. Guys, the joy of our salvation is in Christ. The joy of our life is in realizing that the surprise is in Christ. Our lives as disciples of Jesus are to share the joy and to help other people see the surprise. Surprised by joy. I think there's a book like that. Let's stand and sing this song. Skeeter's going to come and lead us.
we can pray with you in any way to encourage you in your walk to be a greater and better disciple for Christ, if you need to come to Christ for the remission of sins, to wash away those sins in a water or grave called baptism, we can do that. If we just need to pray for you to encourage you, we invite you to respond to Jesus any way that we can. Let's sing the song together. Skeeter. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the glen of the rock and rear.